Didn't you enjoy that? They're going to learn how to sing for it's over with. Amen. <laughs> and uh, thank you so much for being here. And um, I was still laughing uh, last night when, um, now is this, how are they kin to you again? Great nephew. Great nephew. And he said, I'm not going to claim them unless they can sing good. <laughs> and uh, so I reckon they passed the test. Amen. <laughs> All right. Yes, yes. So, amen. Thank you all so much for being in God's house. And hadn't it been a joy and a privilege to be here tonight already? And uh, I still believe there's others like our little buddy up here that stood just a moment ago uh, that folks need to get out of that middle chair and go all the way with God. And uh, I still believe that God is still speaking to people, even away from here. And uh, just like he was those folks, and just like he is some other folks inside the building that God is definitely speaking to. So again, I would just mind him, I would obey him, and I would follow him. And if you'll do that, um, as they can testify now, uh, they feel a whole lot better on the inside, knowing that they um, unloaded what God had put on their heart to say, and uh, God just uh, manifests that in a special way. So, again, thank you for being here and being a part of the service tonight. I want you to take your Bible, First Samuel chapter number 14, First Samuel chapter number 14. And we'll look at a couple things in this passage of Scripture in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter number 14. And uh, I trust God can speak to our hearts together. And uh, again, it's yet to be seen what God can do with a people that would go all the way with Him. And uh, if we would follow that and we would go after that, uh, it's yet to be seen what God can do with that and with a group of people that would follow him and completely and absolutely yield everything to him. And um, when uh, Moody was being dealt with, D.L. Moody, there was two ladies that came to him and made that statement to him. And uh, after he got saved, he said, I want to become that man to know what it is to fully surrender to God. And God used that man to shake worlds for the cause of Christ because of his absolute surrender to the Lord. All hearts clear before I read. Everybody minded God. First Samuel chapter number 14. I want you to think about this thought tonight. There is no restraint with God. There is no restraint with God. Verse number one of chapter number 14. Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, under the young man that bare his armor, said, Come and let us go over to the Philistines garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father. Verse 2, And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people that were with him were about 600 men. And verse number 4, And the and between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over under the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock, one on the one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of one was Bo, Boaz, or Bo, Bozaz, and the name of the other one was Sinek. In verse number six, And Jonathan said unto the young man that bare his armor, Come, 
and let us go over under the garrison of these uncircumcised, uncircumcised. And it may be that the Lord will work a work for us. It may be that the Lord will work a work for us. It may be that the Lord will work a work for us. For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or to save by few. There is no restraint to save by many or to save by few. I want you to understand as introduction to this thought tonight, the people in this battle, the Philistines always are a representation in the Old Testament economy of the enemy of God and the people of Israel. The Philistines always tried to fight and wear down God's people in every manner that they could. What is the goal and the tactic of the enemy today? What is the goal and the tactic of Satan's devices today? Is to try to take away the spiritual vitality and the breath of the house of God to get us silent, to get us still, to get us indifferent, to get us to the place where we were just doubting in disbelief in every manner of time that we're living in. And the Philistines did the same thing from the Old Testament all the way up into the New Testament. You'll find how the Philistines were always fighting and wearing down God's people. And it's no accident that the last days are upon us. Satan understands his time is nigh and short. And he understands if he's going to war against us, he's got to do it in every manner that he can. And you wonder why it is that you get out of the house of God. And before you get home, it seems like you've been beat to death. And it seems like he's come into the car with you and somewhere along the way. We've got to get enough strength with God and enough victory with God that we declare as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord as I said last night but we got to determine to let him know whose side we're on and we're on the winning side. I've read the last chapter. We're on the winning side. We're going up and he is going down and just as it was in the Old Testament economy that the Philistines things warred against God's people in the New Testament economy. It is Satan and the imps of hell warring against the people of God, trying to discourage us, trying to defeat us, trying to make us look at the circumstances and look at the problems around us instead of the God that knows how to fix every problem that we face day by day. And so the Philistines never wanted God's people to enjoy victory. Satan does not want us to enjoy victory. Satan does not want us to see the victory come. Satan does not want old Savannah to experience revival. He doesn't mind you staying comfortable. He doesn't mind you sitting on a pew. He doesn't even mind you coming to service after service after service. Just don't do what that boy did tonight and begin to confess and go all the way with God because that's when he gets nervous. That's when he gets scared. That's when he becomes uncomfortable when God's people begin to follow after the will of God and do what God has asked them to do. So I want to challenge you. There's always going to be a battle until Jesus comes. There's always going to be those people that bring those battles to us until Jesus comes. But one day, there'll be no more battle. One day, there'll be no more struggle one day there'll be no more difficulty and the former things will pass away we'll be in the presence of the king of kings and the lord of lords and there'll be no battle cries there but until that day comes we're not in a playpen we're on a battlefield we should be on the front line serving God living for God and understanding yes there's going to be battles on every side but don't let them 
them battles discourage you. Don't let those battles defeat you. Don't let those battles get you out of the race. You determined by God's grace, I'm going to keep on the battlefield until the trumpet sounds, living for my Savior, loving him to the best of my ability, marching on until Jesus comes. The people of the battle. Here these boys faced the Philistines. But the place of this battle, secondly, the Philistines' garrison was the headquarters of the armies of the Philistines. It was the location where they would plan their defense. It was the location where they would plan their battles. It was this Philistines' garrison that was always put on the mountaintop so they could see the enemy coming. They could see the people. People coming against them and they could even hear them several miles away before they would ever arrive. And so as they're on top of this garrison, they're on top of this mountain peak and here comes Jonathan and his armor bearer and on both sides is the Philistines garrison and they're looking down at these Israelites. They're looking down on these two young men. They're looking down on what's about to take place and while everyone else is asleep, while everyone else has thrown in their spiritual towel, here comes two young men determined to make a difference for God. Here comes two young men determined to do something for God. Here comes two young men that said, hey, while you sleep, I'm going to keep on marching because I believe God has power to save by many or to save by few, but he will save if we'll follow after him to the best of our ability. This garrison represents the headquarters. It represents the place where they are making strategic plans against the people of faith. It is at this place that they're looking on every side. It is at this place that they're looking for the enemy to come, which is the Israelites. It is at this place that they're trying to figure out how are they going to play in against God's people. And my friend, it is this day that that we're living in. Satan is doing everything in his power to plan against us, to strategically put things in our pathway. It looks like that we're in the valley. It looks like that we're outnumbered. It looks like it's an impossibility. It looks like that there's no way we can overcome. But my friend, that's not the end of the story. That's not all there is to it. God's got a bigger plan. God's got a way out on every time. And my friend, if you'll learn how to trust him and depend upon him God knows how to take care of his youngins even in the dark day that we're living in even in the depressing day that we're living in even in a day of adversity like we're living in God knows how to come through for the children of faith and my friend you just hang on you just rest on you just trust on God's about to do something that these boys has never seen before for if they just keep on walking in faith God's about to show them how big he really is so you see not only the people in this battle and the place of this battle again it was this place that they had the two passages and this narrow little road and this pathway they strategically placed their garrison or their headquarters so they could see somebody coming to the left or they could see somebody coming to the right and they could see from the end of the road to the beginning of the road and they could see everything that was headed their way and they strategically placed their armament they strategically placed their warriors and they strategically placed their battlement so as that if anybody comes against them they could see it before they ever got there so these two young men were literally setting ducks as they were headed to the garrison of the Philistines but let me say this not only do you find the people of this battle and the place of this battle to set the stage but what's the problem in this battle go back a few verses into chapter number 13 and verse number 19 of these chapters now therefore there was no smith found throughout all the land of israel 
What's the problem in the battle? They had come to the place where they got rid of the smiths. And the enemy knew if Israel would quit making spears and swords, then eventually they could take them down. And what happened? They began to silence them. They began to get them to the place where they didn't even carry a sword and they didn't even have a spear and they didn't even have a mentality for fighting. What is Satan trying to do to the church? He's trying to wear us down. He's trying to get us out. He's trying to defeat us in such a magnitude to get us to the place where we'll throw in our spiritual towel. We'll throw in our sword. We'll throw in our shield and we'll quit fighting and we'll have the mentality where we're just going to hide out till Jesus comes. But God didn't tell us to hide out. He didn't tell us to sit still. He didn't tell us to be silent. He didn't tell us to quit. He told us to be on the front lines. That's why the scripture said, where is the armor at? It is on the breastplate. It is not on our backside where we're in retreat. It is on the front side where we're supposed to march forward in this day of adversity. My friend, Satan may try to hold something against you. He may try to discourage you in every manner. But you just let him know that he's going down and you're going up. And when Jesus got up the third day, he declared victory for time and for eternity to the household of faith. So we can march on in victory knowing we have victory on the inside. The problem with the battle. They have no smiths according to verse number 19. Why is that important? A blacksmith in Old Testament economy was most valuable because the blacksmith would make the spear, the blacksmith would make the arrows, the blacksmith would make the swords, the blacksmith would make the tools for gardening, the blacksmith would make the way of survival for those people. And the enemy had come against them in such a magnitude that they let all the blacksmiths go. And they didn't even have one inside of Israel to make the instruments that would stand with them and help them in the midst of the battle. And if Satan could, he'd try to silence every person inside of this building to take away your Bible from you that you won't have a way to stand in these last days. But my friend, somebody better pick it up and somebody better read it and somebody better stand upon it again while the devil's raging and doing all that he can in his power. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And God can give us the victory to march on. But some smiths need to be found. The problem with this battle, they had no smiths. But in verse number 22, look what it says. So it came to pass in the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan. Do you understand what the enemy kept doing? He kept wearing them down. He kept wearing them down. Until they laid their swords and their spears down and they sit there helpless and they sit there defenseless. Oh, if that's ever been a picture of the modern day church, it is in the day we're living in. We're defenseless and we're helpless at the house of God. And all Satan's got to do is come when we get in services like these and scream boo. And it's like we'll run away. It's like we'll run under the couch and hide. It's like we'll run under the pew somewhere and say, hey, I didn't mean to go all the way with God. I didn't mean to serve God. If that's what all this is going to cost me. I don't want no part of it. And it's like we're just laying our swords down and our spears down and we're not in the midst of the fight. We're not in the midst of the battle. We're not standing for God. We're not staying true to God. And we become a people that are helpless in this day and hour. And it's like the, uh, the devil and all the imps of hell have more power than the people of faith. May God challenge us. It is not he that has 
power. It's God Almighty that has power. And my friend, we need to get our sword back again and our spear back again and our armament back again and stand up with one triumphant voice and say, I'm not going down empty-handed. I'm not going down without no fight. I'm going to stand up and fight in these last days. And if it takes my breath, if it takes my life, if it takes everything, I'm going to keep on going for the glory of God. I'm going to pick it back up and I'm not going to sit there empty-handed in these last days. They had no spear. The problem in the battle, so many churches have laid it down. The problem in the battle, so many preachers have laid it down. The problem in the battle, so many Sunday school teachers have laid it down. And there's very few that have a sword and a spear anymore. And the mentality of the fight is not even mentioned at the house of God anymore. We become so weak and so powerless that we have just crumbled at the feet of the enemy. And he's taken advantage of us on every hand. And he's taken our children. He's taken our families. He's taken our friends. He's taken our communities away while the churches sit in the house of God powerless because they were afraid to stand up and fight for the glory of God. May God energize somebody tonight. May God put a thundering voice inside of somebody tonight. May God give a 440 force from another world to somebody tonight that you'll stand again and say by the grace of God I may get beat down he may come against me like a flood but I'm going in the name of Jesus and I'm going to stand again under the authority and the power of a living God I'm not going to cow down I'm not going to be ashamed I'm not going to throw in the towel but praise God I'm going to march on and I'm going to serve on and I'm going to fight on until Jesus comes Glory to God. The problem in the battle of today, there's no smiths. There's no swords. And go back to chapter number 14 and verse number 2, and there's no soldiers. And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree. Which means he quit fighting. Which means he laid his armor down. Which means he give up. Which means he lost heart. Which means he surrendered to the enemy. And when he surrendered, notice what happened. And the people that were with him were about 600 men. He just didn't surrender himself, but he took others with him and they began to surrender. Now you listen to me. What Satan has been doing to the house of God for years is manipulating us in such a manner that we don't even believe God can do anything anymore. We don't even think God can do anything anymore. We don't even fathom that God can do anything anymore. We've been afraid for so long. We've laid it down for so long. We've not sought God for so long. We've not prayed for so long. We've not seen the visitation for God from God for so long that we have become a man and a woman of the faith of God that's supposed to be on the battlefield, but we're under our 
our pomegranate trees. We're hiding out till Jesus comes. We're just saying, oh God, bless me if you can, but I'm going to stay comfortable. I'm going to stay like I am. I'm going to live for me. I'm going to do what I want to do. And while the whole time they're standing under the pomegranate tree, the, uh, the Philistines are planning and they're plotting and they're ploying against the people of God. And they're just waiting for that strategic moment that they can come with one battle cry and begin to devour the household of faith. And what you don't understand, while we've been playing games at the foot of the cross, the enemy surrounded the household of faith. He surrounded our churches and he's got an armament on the outside trying to get in on the inside. And he's devouring the people of faith. He's devouring the people of God. And he's been making plans and he's been ploying his action and he's been getting his armament together and because we've been sitting still for so long we don't even realize that he's come against us like a flood but may God open our eyes may God show us may God help us tonight and may God raise up some Jonathans out of say praise God I'm not satisfied with going down in the battle I'm going straight to where the enemy camp is I'm going up the side of the mountain and if it takes my life let it be oh God but I'm going for you hallelujah but the message that's involved in this passage of scripture is in verse number 6 and Jonathan said to the young man that bear his armor come and let us go on over under the garrison of the of these uncircumcised while Saul and those 600 men and all the people of God have laid down their swords, their spears, the smiths are gone and the enemy has them surrounded and they're up there on top of that mountain just waiting for them to come toward them. But they won't even come toward them because they're afraid. They won't even come toward them because they're worried. What will they do to them? They won't even come toward them. They won't even call them out. Sounds a lot like us. Notice what happens with these two young men. Come and let us go over over under the garrison of these uncircumcised. Sounds a lot like little David when he met that big Philistine and he took five stones with him just in case one of his brothers were to stand up behind him. You get that? And he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that they'd come against my God? And here these two young men said the same message and sent the same message to these men. And it may be that the Lord will work a work for us if somebody would just start moving and if somebody would just pick it up again and if somebody would just determine they're going to go with God again. It just may be that the Lord will work a work for us in our day as he did in this day. And he said, for there is no restraint. That means there's no uh, there's no way that God's ability is not bigger than theirs. There is no way that God's power is not bigger than their power. And he says, there is no restraint for my God to save by many or to save by few, which just tells me, praise God, if he was able to do it for these two young men, hey, he can do it for us. He can do it now. He can do it again. He's just looking for somebody that'll pick the, st- pick the sword back up and go with God again and believe God for what he said he could do notice what happens in verse 7 I love this and his armor bearer said unto him do all that is in thine heart here's Jonathan I'm going after them and here's his armor bearer with him he said well you do what's in your heart I'll be right on your coattail Huh? Give me a few people like that. 
that'll say, I'm not afraid of the battle. I'm not afraid of the fight. I'm not afraid to wait on God. I'm not afraid to seek God. I'm not afraid to wait and see what God can do. I'm going to go straight to the enemy's camp and determine by the grace of God, I'm not afraid of what they'll do to me because I know somebody bigger than them is walking beside of me every step of the way. I'm not in this by myself. And they determined. And so Jonathan and his armor bearer told and, and started walking that direction. And his armor bearer said, behold, I'm with thee according to thy heart. Verse number eight and said, then said Jonathan, behold, we will pass over unto these men. And we will discover ourselves unto them. Now, can you imagine? Here's the headquarters of the Philistines. Here's all them big men that's been prepared in battle all these years. Like David faced. All those big Philistines had their armament, had their swords, had their shields had everything you can imagine waiting on those two boys if they would even attempt to go that direction. And Jonathan and his armor bearer said, let us go unto them and let us discover ourselves unto them, which means let us go show them how big our God really is. We're not afraid of their faces. We're not afraid of their swords. We're not afraid of their shields. We're going face to face with the enemy, determined to show them what our God can really do. And notice what happens in verse number 12. Verse 10, this talks about, he said, we'll tarry here in verse 9. Until they say come up, when they see us coming, if they call us out, we're going after them. They wasn't sitting down there waiting on how to get out of it. They were just chomping at the bits that they would say, come get us. They wasn't sitting down there trying to twiddle their thumbs thinking, oh, I'm afraid of what they're going to do to me. I'm afraid of how they're going to come against my family. I'm afraid of what they're going to say. No, they were looking at a way to get to where they was at. You, you just, you just sick me. Hallelujah. And I'm a coming. Huh? It's what they were saying. And they came to the bottom of that mountain peak where that garrison was. And that old leader of the Philistines looked out over that mountain and said, come on up, boys, and we'll show you what we got waiting on you. And notice what the scripture says. And the men of the garrison in verse number 12 answered Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you a thing. You come on up here. We're going to show you how we're going to tear you to pieces. We're going to show you how we're going to beat you down. We're going to show you how we're going to defeat you. If that had been the average Baptist, they'd have never made it to the hill. They said, hey, don't, don't get me in the midst of this fight. I didn't count on this. Huh? If that had been the average deacon, huh? Don't put us in the middle. I didn't count on this. Average preacher won't even stand for God anymore. Won't even fight for God anymore. And we wonder why is it that, that the Hollywood crowd and the, and the religious crowd and the unbelieving crowd is making the laws and the statutes in Washington DC because there's been nobody fighting for the things of God anymore. We're afraid. We've sat under our juniper tree. We've sat under the pomegranate tree and we've thrown in our sword and we sit there and just hide out waiting on Jesus to come and pray. Oh God, don't let anything happen to us until Jesus comes. You know I'm telling you the truth. And notice what the scripture said. And they said, come up and we'll show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, 
Come after me. For the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. They're outnumbered. They're outmanned. They're outarmored. They, they have no way. They have no possibility. There's no way they'll win this fight. There's no way they'll win this battle. But God has another story. God has another plan. God has another circumstance in mind. Now you hang with me. I want to give you some faith and hope tonight. And he said, come up after me. For the Lord hath delivered them into our hand and the hand of Israel. So verse 13, and Jonathan climbed upon his hands and upon his feet and his armor bare after him. Notice this. They didn't have a sword in their hand. They didn't have a spear in their hand. All they had strength to do was climb. All they had strength to do was believe God. All they had strength to do was keep looking to the hill. All they had strength to do is keep looking in the face of the enemy and understanding that God's about to work a work for them. And they just kept on climbing. Sometimes I don't have a sword. Sometimes I don't have a spear. But if I'll just keep climbing, hallelujah, God will strengthen me. God will fight my battle for me. God will help me on every circumstance and on every side. He's just looking for some climbers at the house of God that'll get out of the side of the chair of these and start climbing and start climbing and start climbing. Oh God, give me power to climb. Give me strength to climb. Give me undergirding force to climb. God, give me the spirit to climb. God, give me the power to climb. And they kept on climbing. Notice what happens. I'm getting some help if you don't. And Jonathan climbed upon his hands and his feet, and his armor bearer after him. And notice what happens. The enemy that everybody was afraid of. They fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer slew after him. In verse 14, in the first slaughter, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men. When as it were a half acre of land, verse 15, and there was a great trembling in the host. What was that trembling? It was God as they was climbing up one side of the house, the mountain. Glory to God. As they was climbing up one side of the hill, Jehovah God was climbing up the other side. And before they ever got to the top of the hill, God done started beating them down. God done started taking care of the enemy. God done started slaying that crowd that was against him. Why? Because they kept on climbing. They didn't look at the circumstance. They didn't look at the problem. They didn't look at the people around them. They kept on climbing. May God give us faith to climb. May God give us strength to climb. You keep on climbing. God's walking up the other side. He's going to meet you at the top and you're about to see a great trembling. You're about to see a great earthquake. You're about to see a shaking like you've never seen before. If somebody would keep on climbing for the glory of God. And as they're climbing, there was a trembling in the host in verse 15 in the field. And among the garrison and the spoilers, they also trembled. And the earth quaked. So it was a very great trembling. And the watchman of Saul in Gibeah, of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude melted away, and they went on beating down one another. God knows how to confuse the enemy in such a magnitude 
that they'll start devouring their own selves and forget about devouring you. He's just looking for somebody that'll climb. He's just looking for somebody that'll go with God. He's just looking for somebody that'll trust and believe him. And these two young men, by faith, went up the side of that mountain and watched God perform a great miracle. And all the hosts of the Philistines were brought low. And they never picked up one sword, one spear, or carried one shield. But they came in the power of God. And they said there is no restraint. And God's ability to save by many or to save by few. You ought to let that simmer a while. You ought to comprehend that He's got all authority, He's got all ability. He is a mighty God. He is a holy God. He is a big God. He's a God that can still do awesome things. He's a God of the supernatural. He's the God that flung the stars off of his fingertips and still hold them, holds them in, in their axis today. He's the God that you can see the breeze blowing by. He's the God that created this universe. He's the God that knows how to take care of his people. He's the God that knows how to bless us. He's just looking for some little warriors somewhere how to get up out of their discouragement out of their defeat out of their despondency and say by the grace of God I'm getting up tonight and I'm going to start climbing I'm going to start climbing I'm going to start climbing and I'm going to watch and see what God can do when I start climbing there is no restraint with God in his power to redeem. There's no sinner too hard, too difficult. God can't go after. There is no restraint in God's power to revive. There's no heart too cold, no church too far gone that God cannot breathe life and breath back into the house of God. There is no restraint in God's power to restore you out of the will of God. You, you've walked away from God. God can still bring you back. God can still put you right there in the midst and the center of his will. God can dust you off. God can fill you up. God can thrill you with his glory and his power and let you walk in the glory of God again if you just come home and get in that place. There's no restraint in his power to restrain. Aren't you glad when Satan comes against you like a flood that while you're climbing on one side, God's working on the other side and God's pushing him up to the scarred walls of the dam and he's saying, enough's enough. I've created them. I've saved them. They're my child. They're under my blood and there's nothing, nothing you can do to harm them. Hey, only Satan can get permission from God to hurt you and if he gives you permission and gives him permission to come against you he said hey I'm going to put a hedge about them I'm going to protect them that the enemy can't come in can't destroy them can't defeat them hey I'm hedged in and you're hedged in Satan may come after us on every side but I'm a child of the king I'm a child of the king I'm a child of the king and there's nothing he can do to harm God's people He's, there's no restraint in his power to restrain the enemy. The enemy can't do anything unless they get permission from God Almighty first to do it. You're hedged in. Don't you walk in a coward state. Don't you walk in an afraid position. You walk in the authority of the Lamb of God. You stand up. You're a child of the King. You're not a child of the devil any longer. You're not a child of this world any longer. You're a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm a citizen of a bigger country than this one. I'm a citizen of another world. And there's nothing this world can do to harm God's people. I just need to walk in the authority and the power of who I am in Christ Jesus. I'm one of his children. I've been born again. I 
I've been changed by His marvelous grace. I'm a child walking in the glory and the power of a living God. I'm not scared. I'm not afraid. Hallelujah. I've got my elder brother on the backside walking with me every step of the way. No matter what comes my way tomorrow, I can keep on going. Hallelujah. And keep on climbing for the glory of God. No restraint in his power to return. The world says he is not coming. The religious crowd says he is not coming. Philosophers have said throughout the ages he is not coming. Even the devil rolled the stone away in front of the tomb and said, you hold it here as fast as you can. And them angels came with an assignment from glory. Said, I'm going to sit here because at the appointed time, that third day, the Lord said to roll it back. And when he rolled it back, he set in motion the return of the Savior. And in Acts chapter number 1, This same Jesus you see taken from you will also come in like manner as he said. And one day, devils can't stop it. The world can't stop it. Flesh can't stop it. The enemy can't stop it. Washington can't stop it. The religious crowd can't stop it. The agnostic can't stop it. The unbeliever can't stop it. The people that says there is no God can't stop it. He's coming again. He's coming again. He's coming again for the household of faith. And there is no restraint in his power to return. He will come as he said. So don't you go out of this place no longer. With your head held low. Don't walk out of this church any longer saying, I'm a defeated foe. Don't walk out of this place any longer saying, God can't do anything. You just keep climbing. Our responsibility is to climb. Our responsibility... They didn't even have a sword and a shield. Why? Because the scripture said in the New Testament, the battle is the Lord's. All I'm supposed to do is climb. All I'm supposed to do is go. All I'm supposed to do is look at the enemy and say, hey, you may talk about me. You may do what you want to, but you're not taking me down. And determine tonight to be climbers for the glory of God. And it may be that as we're climbing through this journey, the Lord may work a work for us. That it will cause a great trembling among us and a great shaking around us that even the people that mocked us may start running To say, where is this God? I need him. This is the story of Kenny. I brought some tonight. Let me get dignified. I can't see you, but I'll see this. Kenny, I often thought about God, and God no doubt thought about me. But while I thought about God, I certainly did not walk in his ways. Far, far from it. When God moved in revival power in part of this island, I was 29 years of age. 
But I had no taste for the things of the Spirit. I'd been in war, watched terrible scenes, witnessed things that I stood in the trenches and just was there in unbelief. He said, one day, while I was in the trench, there were six shells landed at my feet and lifted me into the air. Thank God they did not explode or I would not even be here to tell this tale today. I dived back into the trench, which had about a foot of water in it, and found my New Testament. It was covered with ants, and even as I turned its pages, the words kept coming to me from God, Will you give me your heart now? And he screamed out, No, Lord! I said, But if you will just leave me till I'm 70, huh? I'll come then. I had every intention on coming, but no, 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 not now. I was not going to miss out on life. And here I was, having survived that that awesome incident when I could have been blown to bits, and yet I would not heed to the warning. I had my own agenda. I would not yield. God was as vague a thought and an entity that was far off from my mind, but yet continually penetrating my armor and bringing discomfort and unhappiness to my soul, I would not recognize his holiness and his majesty. In 1950, Duncan Campbell came to Garibos Point. I had been going to church. Now, here was the thing that intrigued me. Even the lost people came to the meetings. They'd sit there service after service because they were afraid not to. Huh? He said in November, I'd been going to church, be going, and so attended. Said, come to the 1939 revival that I read to you the other night, which was prayer. A great influence from Garibald Point all night from the meeting back at 4 a.m. And they over with their health or with going right to work. Oft in the of in those days. And now here again, they reveled in the meetings and were so great privilege of gracious found I was wild as could be the pub was my joy and delight our hobby was drinking and yet more drinking to which was added the fun of playing darts and going to the cinema once uh, often we were so drunk that they would they could not even see the screen and they had to be taken out while they would sober up, sober up. Yet I was not happy. There was such deep dissatisfaction in my heart. And whatever I did, I could not feel the ever quenching and the ever increasing and the yearning of the whole inside of me. He said, I tried to be happy. Oh, yes, I tried. I tried everything. But the more strenuous my quest, the more distance my goal began to achieve. I was miserable and could not lift myself from the despondency which enveloped me. Every now and again, the word, the word would come to me as from God. Kenny, will you give me your heart now? I did not realize that the Lord himself was speaking to me. And now the meetings were here. Every night I walked to another meeting, to another service. And they would be talking about the sermon and the singing and the blessing and the fellowship. And I was engulfed in all this religious mania. But it still wasn't real to me. Remarkably, as an unsaved man, I never swore, nor did I take the Lord's name in vain. But one night coming from the meeting, 
I used a word that brought a strong reaction from some of my companions that were walking with me. Are you swearing coming from the Lord's house? They said, and I felt condemned. Later on, there was a meeting in my little aunt's house that loved God, that prayed. Notice what happens. I went along. The place was packed that night. I went through the hallway and around the corner for I was petrified that I would get converted. Huh? Petrified, scared to death. I had responded to the, I had responded to the invitation to come to the meeting, but I did not want to listen louder. How they sang. You'll forget the singing. And they said you could hear them over on me in that, in that lowing. I mean, I was so hard, soul of unction, and it was so full of hearted, wholeheartedness and full of unction and power. Duncan Campbell was sitting on a seat in the kitchen before the service started. And when the service began, he got up and he came directly to where I was sitting, me. And will you please go and sit where I was at the front? You can imagine now this young man. He said, for I want to go from room to room with a message. And I did as I was requested. But throughout the service, I was plagued with the thought, why did he pick on me? And why did he pick me? As I sat there, I had a conversation with myself. Kenny, how old are you? I'm 29. Kenny, are you happy? No. What else can a man do to make himself happy? I thought of the celebrations at the end of the year and at the beginning of the year. I had ordered a bottle or two of liquor before that service. But just the other day after the Sunday service in the church, I had sneaked around the back of the church and had consumed almost a whole bottle in my attempts to drown the gnawing conviction that was eating on me. What could I do to make myself happy? Oh, what could I do is all he could think about. All this time while I was musing, Mr. Campbell was preaching. I was busy with my thoughts when suddenly in the midst of this turmoil, a word penetrated my soul and it came from God. And I knew that it came from God. And in my innermost being, I heard God say, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. God spoke it to me and to my heart. The service came to a close. And in my misery, I wondered, how could I come to terms with all my conflicting emotions? And what to do with this instant and this insistent word that I keep hearing? I am the way. I am the way. I am the way. The preacher was still speaking. He said, a room will be cleared for all of those who would like to come to a place so that nothing fly your heart. Please get up and come this way. Cannot can. And he said, come now and let Jesus own you of your sheer head. Have up and walk through a crowd. I get up at uh, a packed house. Everyone knew me. I looked upon a sea of heads and, and, and I thought, how can I get past them? It looked like every head that was in front of me was hundreds behind it. He'd at me. How can I get through? Why everyone had a hundred heads, he thought. I could never get through. And suddenly, I received unusual and amazing strength. I stood up, and in my heart, I cried out, and I said, Lord, if you'll take me, I'll come right now. It was settled. And in that instant, my change, instant, my life, it wasn't as that. He said, as I began to walk to the room, an elder took my hand, took hold of me with obvious delight, again, the heart, and I absolutely free. Duncan Kent was in the room. Some of the converts, he spoke, I spilled with God. To me, as I emerged from that room, 
Some said to my mother, to pray anymore. Here from now. I never got you that night in us. And I will praise him throughout all for his patience and his grace for a sinner like me. I never lost what God gave me that night. In addition to the joy of my salvation, he gave me tears. He gave me compassion for my lost friends. And he said, one moment that, that night when I took Jesus and he began to inscribe upon my heart his mercy and his greatness. And no wonder it was of my little aunt and Jesus saved me and I'm free. Thank God I'm free. power you just keep climbing God's got the power you just keep trusting God has the power you just keep believing God has the power he's just looking for some little saints that'll not look at the enemy and not be scared of the day you're living in but determined preacher That you're going to go on for God. And you're going to fight the fight of faith for the Lord. And you're going to trust and believe him every step of the way. And watch what God can do for you. And it could be. He could work a work for us. And it could be. He can save by many. Or he can save by few. But I can guarantee you this. He will save. Hallelujah. Father tonight. Again would you increase. The faith. Of these people. And God as I've tried to give them situation. And story after story. Through the word of God. Of your power and what you can do. God let us walk out of here understanding. We just got to be climbers. We just got to be climbers. And if we'll do our part. You're coming up the other side of the hill. To fight the battle. So God don't let us go home in defeat and discouragement. Despondency. And scared to death. But let somebody pick up their mantle. Let somebody pick up their sword. Let somebody pick up their spear. Let somebody pick up their faith again. And walk out of this building determined to be what God would have them to be. And we'll give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. I just came back from Moab, Utah. It's one of those places that you can go ride four-wheelers. You can ride side-by-sides. You can ride mountain bikes. You can, it's a big climbing Resort type place. We were riding down this one road. And I looked up and there was a mountain. When I, when I was at the bottom of it. I mean you looked up and it looked like probably a thousand feet up. And kid you not. There was a woman probably a little older than me. By herself. At the bottom of that mountain, she'd pulled her car over, she'd opened her trunk up, and she went over there, and she got her some climbing shoes, and she started lacing them shoes up. I said, I'm going to watch this. I said, they's fixing to be a 911 call given. She put them climbing shoes on. And then she got something out of the back of that trunk and it was in a little bucket. 
and it's some white chalk. And she started putting that all over her hands. And she looked at that mountain to the left, looked at that mountain to the right, and then looked to the top of it. And all of a sudden, she grabbed a hold beside that mountain. And sure enough, while I'm sitting there in my buggy, she's sitting there climbing straight up beside that mountain. Never was afraid. Never was scared. Never thought that mountain was bigger than she was. Never thought that she couldn't do it. She knew she'd been practicing before. She knew she'd done conquered them before. She knew she'd done climbed them before. It didn't scare her. She didn't even have no no family with her. She is by herself. Sure enough, if she'd have failed, she'd been dead. But she kept on climbing. She kept on going. And as soon as she'd get one arm length in front of the other and one foot up on the next ledge, she'd pull with all of her strength till she could grab hold of the next one. But she kept on climbing. She never quit. She never faltered. She never gave up. She kept on climbing. I didn't stay there all day long. I don't know if she ever made it to the top, but boy, she gave me enough faith to keep on climbing. That woman can hallelujah too. Keep on climbing. March out of here believing God, trusting God. He is still the same. Wrap up thing too for this God to do. Some climbing, dark climb. By the grace, I'm not going for.